everyone, welcome to another episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing Enos, Jerem, Omni, and Words of Mormon. All one-chapter books, all pretty short. The, this week's study is uh, pretty short in terms of length, but there's still um, quite an, a bit there and enough to keep you busy as you study um, Come Follow Me and the scriptures and uh, talks and other resources. Uh, before we get into that, a couple things. Just thanks for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, you can request to join our Facebook group, Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. Uh, post just uh, additional helps and quotes and things and try to get some interaction going on in, uh, in the group. Uh, also, obviously, with the craziness in the world, just wanted to mention that. Uh, the coronavirus here in Utah, we had a, an earthquake this week. Um, if you haven't already, I would strongly and highly recommend listening to President Nelson's video message that he released, uh, I think, uh, a week or so ago from the time of the posting of this podcast. This is about March 14th or so. Uh, message of hope, really, and his optimism. And even if you have listened to it, I recommend listening to it again. I listened to it again this week, just uh, as things were getting even crazier and it just is. It's a great message of 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 peace and and hope and optimism for the future. That uh, as we keep our covenants and keep our promises to the, that we've made to the Lord, He is bound to do uh, what He has said, and He that that includes uh, prospering and blessing uh, and uh, protecting His saints. And obviously, that can mean different things at different times, but. Uh, the the message from President Nelson is definitely one of, of happiness and hope and, and optimism for the future. So let's uh, jump in this week to Enos. Uh, recall that last week I added on a few minutes of my, uh, at the end of Jacob, to just chat about Enos briefly. And so just kind of even circling back to that a little bit. If you recall, Jacob's whole, I mean, he had this great anxiety in his his desire was for the welfare and well-being of his people and his posterity. And um, I mentioned that it, it becomes pretty clear as you read Enos that he at least had an impact on his son uh, because Enos starts off by saying what he was doing was, you know, remembering and pondering the words that he had heard his father speak. It says, Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. And so it's, and just even the words that he uses there, the joy of the saints, if you, if we, I mentioned this last week, but in second Nephi chapter nine, uh, Jacob wrote that chapter. He uses that term, that phrase, the joy of the saints. And so you see him using it and then you see his son using it. And clearly it's something that was a topic of discussion. Uh, and as Enos said, he often heard his father speak of these things. And, and Elder Holland taught that we should live the gospel as conspicuously as possible so that our children can't even doubt. Uh, and, you know, it makes you think of the stripling warriors and their mothers. And uh, they lived in a time when many of the fathers and the men had been killed and, and slain in battle and or uh, more particularly had gone out and sacrificed themselves to the Lamanites after their conversion and so they're left with uh, a lot of women to raise these kids who then grow up to then obviously be the stripling warriors. And what do they, they tell Helaman? That they did not doubt that their mothers knew it. They had no doubt. And how would you not have a doubt that your mother knew it? Well, it would be by her example, but also because of the things that she, uh, and when I say she, I mean these these mothers and uh, the royal she here, they... Uh, were living by example, but also they were, uh, I would guess, um, an educated guess, giving direct instruction um, and teaching and bearing testimony. Um, And I think what we have, you know, strongest testimony can be uh, through our example, but I think what adds even more power to that is when we use our words and our deeds and those, uh, when our words and our deeds and our example, when those align, that's when we have a true powerful uh, witness and example to those around us, including our kids. 
is that when they see that, hey, the dad, my dad says these things and he lives this way, that's something that they will notice. And I think that's what Enos picked up on from his dad. Um, verse 1, he uses the word, oh, he uses this phrase that uh, Jacob had taught him in the language and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'd kind of just taken that for granted, uh, just like, oh, I get what he's saying, like Jacob taught him. But I finally looked up the word uh, admonition, and it means authoritative counsel or warning. So again, it was direct, ex- explicit uh, instruction to Enos and to his other children and to his posterity that Jacob uh, did. He didn't just uh, do good things, which you know I'm sure he did. He wasn't just a good example, which I'm sure he was, but he... Uh, used authoritative counsel and warnings to teach them uh, about right from wrong and about the Savior. So Enos here gets, he's about his daily business. And that's something that stands out to me is he's just out hunting, which I'm sure is something that he often did. And his, he was out in the forest and he starts to have, he's having these thoughts. Um, one thing that strikes me about this is, um, well, two things. First thing is, I already mentioned, he's just going about his normal like routine day. Second thing, though, is that he has separated himself from people and uh, given himself a chance to ponder uninter- uninterrupted, which then gives him the chance to pray un- uninterrupted, which then gives the Lord a chance to uh, commune with him uninterrupted. And... Man, how poignant and powerful is this at this time when we are living in a you know in an age of social distancing at this time and um i th- I believe I shared this on on the podcast last week, but it, it keeps coming back to me uh elder Uchtdorf, who was then president Uchtdorf, gave a talk about slowing down and that uh more often than not when you're going through turbulence on an in an airplane. The optimal speed for for going through that turbulence as safely as possible is to throttle back and slow down. And I can't help but think that that's what this Lord is wanting the world and and in particular his his sons and daughters, his saints, us as members of the restored Church of Jesus Christ, to do is to slow down, take a step back, and hear him. And again, that goes back to what President Nelson has been saying for the last month or so and in leading into conference, is hearing the word of the Lord, hear him. And how we can do, one way that we can do that is by separating ourselves and giving ourselves a chance to sincerely and uh, deeply and uh, earnestly pray, which will then, and then giving the Lord an opportunity without the distractions of the world of technology and the hustle and bustle. Uh, giving the Lord an opportunity to respond and teach us. So this, I mean, uh, Enos here and Jacob connect, I think, and uh, I think it's fitting because father and son relationship. But Enos says he hungered, his soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my maker and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication. So he starts by praying for his own welfare. And as he continues... He starts to hear the voice of the Lord, and he, the voice of the Lord comes to him and says that his sins are forgiven. And Enos says, "How is it done?" And the Lord says, "Well, because of your faith in Jesus Christ." And that's how, that's how anything is done. That's how our sins are forgiven. That's how we can commune with the Lord, is that is by having faith in Jesus Christ. And as he kind of starts to get this confidence and build this confidence in this communion that he's having with the Lord, he then prays for his brethren, and then he prays for the Lamanites. And so you see this kind of inside out. Um, approach here. Once his inner vessel has been cleansed and he's been reassured of the, of his sins being forgiven and he knows his standing with the Lord, um, then he prays for his brethren and then he prays for the Lamanites who are, I mean, in an earthly sense, his enemies. Um, but it's as he hears the, as he hears him, so I go back to President Nelson's, uh, his admonition, I guess, you know, in his um, request of us is to hear him. As Enos starts to hear the voice of the Lord, he starts to be more uh, and more confident in in this communication. And what's interesting is, like I said, he, he as he understands his relationship with the Lord, as he uh, has um, 
his sins forgiven, he then can, he then looks outwards and says, oh, it's not just good enough for me to be forgiven. I want the welfare of my brother and the Lamanites. And President Nelson also recently has um, asked us to pray specifically about our relationship uh, to our Heavenly Father and what we mean to him. And he's promised us that if we do that and if we listen and hear him, he will tell us amazing things and he will tell us things that we need to do to live up to who we are. And I can't help but seeing that parallel here with Enos, that that's exactly what he did, is he prayed, wanted an understanding of his standing with the Lord. And um, the Lord said, there came, or it says, there came a voice unto me saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And, and I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. So now he has this understanding of his standing and position with God. And that's what repentance is, is a, as a fresh view of oneself and a fresh view of God and our positioning with him. And then, and then he realizes, okay, this is who I am. This is what's going on with me and my position. Well, I want this for everyone else. I want other people to realize this. Um, and so that's just something that I, I think that as we see and as we listen to the current prophet, President Nelson, and what he's asking us to do, we can see these parallels with um, previous generations and the words of the of the prophets and the scriptures when they have done these types of things, and we can see kind of this blueprint of what what to do and what awaits us as we um, keep those commitments and and do what the prophet asks us to do. Uh, so as as I've said, he can, Enos grows in this kind of confidence, and he expresses that in verse eleven. He says, "And I, Enos, or excuse me, af- and after I, Enos, had heard these words, my faith began to be unshaken in the Lord, and I prayed unto Him with many long strugglings for my brother and the Lamanites." So he gets more and more confidence, and he begins to be his faith begins to be unshaken. Now I mentioned I've mentioned a few things in how him and his father connect. This is another way his, him and his father connect. Remember back in Jacob 7, when Jacob was talking to Sherem, um, in verse 5, it says, And he, Sherem, had hoped to shake me from the faith, notwithstanding the many revelations and the many things which I had seen concerning these things. For I truly had seen angels, for they had ministered unto me. And also I had heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto me in very word from time to time, Wherefore, I could not be shaken. So that's exactly what the experience his son is having right now. His son is writing down his experience, Enos, of when he heard the voice of the Lord. He heard him, and that's what causes his faith to begin to be unshaken. And as President Nelson has invited us to hear him, as we do so and as we take the time to pray and to commune with the Lord and we hear him, our faith will begin to be unshaken. And as Jacob said, indeed, it will be reach a point to where we cannot be shaken. So what kind of prayer and communion does this, does this take? Well, um, the, uh, trying to think where I want to start here. Right, let's go, uh, come follow me manual this week. Um, the, the opening paragraph introduction says, Enos went to the forest to hunt beasts, but ended up staying there to pray all the day long. And when the night came, because his soul was truly hungry to receive a remission of his sins, Enos was willing to pray as long as necessary and even to wrestle before God. That's what sincere prayer is. Not so much asking for anything we want, but a sincere effort to commune with God and align our will to his. When you pray in this way, when you when your voice has reached the heavens, you discover as Enos did that God hears you and he truly cares about you and your loved ones and even your enemies. In those moments, God can make his will known unto you and, you, and you will become willing and able to do his will because you are in harmony with him. Like Mormon, you may not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things, and he worketh in you to do according to his will. So, what kind? It's, this, it's not a asking for anything you want, but it's this putting yourself uh, in alignment with God's will. Um, and that's one of the purposes, main purposes of prayer is for us to learn his will so that we can change and ask for his help in changing so that we can align our will with his. And, um, you know, I think you get that 
message from Enos as he talks about wrestling before God. It wasn't a wrestle that he had with God. He wasn't like saying, hey, I want to change your mind. But it was him wrestling with himself, trying to change his will to align with God's. And then you see this remission of sins that he's granted. And it's what repentance is. Repentance is this fresh view. It's getting ourselves in a new position and aligning our will to God and, and then recognizing that and saying, oh, he is God. I am man. I am nothing without him. And I need his grace from day to day. And when we realize that and we say, okay, what, what would thou have me do? He then says things like, well, thy sins are forgiven thee and thou shalt be blessed. Uh, praying in this manner requires more than a, that a person eliminate vain, trite, or insincere rep- repetitions uh, and to pour the deepest desires of his or her, her heart into words. Each phrase becomes an expression, a yearning and desire to do God's will. Such prayers are assisted and guided by the Holy Spirit. For we know not what we should pray for we as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the scripture there reference is Romans eight twenty six, and this that came from the Institute Manual. But this makes me also think of the way that the Lord taught us to pray, pray the Savior Himself, in Third Nephi twelve, um, excuse me, Third Nephi thirteen, but also Matthew six. He says, "After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in the earth, in earth as it is in heaven." Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he goes on to say more things here and teach us. But what I wanted to hit on here is the way in which we pray is and when we're asking for things, it's not, you know, it shouldn't be repetitions. It shouldn't be because every day that we get up and we pray, it's a new day. The Savior taught us to pray each day. Give us this day, this day, our daily bread. Um, the children of Israel, when they were wandering through the wilderness and needed to be uh, nourished, the Lord blessed them with manna. Um, and every day they would collect it and they would only be able to collect what was good for that day. Uh, if they tried to collect more and save it, it would go bad. The only day that they could collect a double portion was on um, the day before the Sabbath um, so that they didn't have to collect it on the Sabbath. But every other day they were granted their daily bread, enough for what they needed that day. And that's what exactly what the Savior taught us. And so our prayers should be after that fashion. They should be pleading for that day's bread. Every day is different. What do we need that day? What blessings do we need that day? What um, support and sustaining help and grace do we need that day? What are the events? What are we planning on happening that day? What are, what what's, uh, what are, what's going on in your job or in your family that that day you need the Lord's support and help in? Every day is not the same, so every prayer could, cannot and should not possibly be the same. As we sincerely humble ourselves and go to the Lord and ask, each day for our daily bread, we'll be guided to align our will each day with His will. And as we do that over a long period of time, we become uh, more and more like Him and more and more prepared uh, to face what we need to face and to... Uh, obey his will. And this is one way in which we can pray always because these become connected prayers so that as we pray for our daily bread in the morning and throughout the day, and then as we lay our head down at night and we get on our knees before we um, go to bed, we can think back throughout the day and we can say, wow, this is how the Lord blessed this day. What was the daily bread that I received this day? And we can be thankful for that bread. And now we've connected the morning and day's prayers to our night prayer. And now it's become this one continuous prayer, though interrupted as we've gone throughout our day and we've done different things, but our actions as we've, as we strive to uh, fulfill and live the way that Lord wants us to live and uh, obey his will, our, our lives themselves actually also will become a, a living prayer. And all of these things kind of combine to allow us to follow the commandment to pray always and not faint. But it starts by being sincere and humble and praying for our daily bread, not taking thought of the future. Again, something the Savior taught us. What's today? Don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow will come and, I, and, I will, and He will take care of us. But the, the, 
but what is happening today and what bread do we need today to be sustained and uplifted and um, carried? And what can we do today to become more like more Christ-like? And who can we serve today? And as we ask for those types of blessings, the Lord will then commune with us. And as he communes with us and we hear him, our faith will begin to be unshaken. Um, one thing I want to go back to briefly is just the thought about uh, Jacob teaching his son Enos, and there are some truths that are more important than others. Um, this comes from Ezra Taff Benson. He says, "All truths are not the same. The saving truths of salvation are the greatest truths. These truths are the these truths the fathers taught plainly, frequently, and fervently. Are we fathers doing likewise?" That you know, there's a lot of things to be teaching our kids, but these truths, these truths about the the uh, joy of the saints and about repentance and about prayer, those those truths that are more important about Jesus Christ and His atoning sacrifice. Those are the most important truths that we should be teaching them. Yes, we should teach them about uh, life in the world because we live in the world, and we need to know how to how to interact with people and do things. But some, but not all truths are created equally. Um, as we move on through Enos, uh, I just, man, he, he's his example here of, of what a sincere prayer looks like and how it operates and, you know, praying for daily bread, praying for what he needed, praying for then his brother and praying for the Lamanites. And what's interesting is that he prays that the, the scriptures would be, I mean, the record would be preserved. And why that stands out to me is that this clearly becomes a prayer that's led by the Spirit because the Lord even points out, hey, look, your father's asked the same thing of me. That as we, and as his, as Jacob and Nephi and Lehi were led by the Spirit to pray for the protection of the record so that it could bless their posterity, so too was Enos because uh, the Spirit is teaching them all a, a true thing to be praying for. They were teaching them how what, to, what was the Lord's will. Um, and as we pray... For the Lord's will, that's when true power of prayer um, will be manifest. Not when we try to change his mind or pray for our will, but it's in understanding his will. And um, that comes from having the spirit as we pray uh, and uh, allowing the spirit to guide our thoughts and our words as we pray. So as I've been sharing these thoughts about um, communing with the Lord, uh, this quote from Elder Maxwell came. Uh, he's talking about preparing to receive revelation and, to, uh, and preparing to receive an answer to prayer. He said, Petitioning in prayer has taught me again and again that the vault of heaven with all its blessing is to be opened only by a combination lock. One tumbler falls when there is faith. A second when there is personal righteousness. The third and final tumbler falls only when what is sought is in God's judgment, not ours, right for us. Sometimes we pound on the vault door for something we want very much and wonder why the door does not open. We would be very spoiled children if that vault door opened any more easily than it does. I can tell, looking back, that God truly loves me by inventorying the petitions he has refused to grant. Uh, uh, by inventorying the petitions he has refused to grant me. Our rejected petitions tell us as much about ourselves, but also much about our flawless Father. And... So just to echo those thoughts that there's a reason that um, it takes work to receive this type of communion and and revelation and prayer in through prayer. Uh, Prayer, if you look in the Bible dictionary, it says that prayer is a form of work. Uh, Work is, I mean, by its definition, not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to uh, make us put in real effort. So uh, uh, another point I want to touch on before I moved on too much was uh, Enos's again, Enos's desire for the welfare of others. This quote from Elder Robert E. Hale says, the, scripture con- the scriptures confirm that the truly converted do more than just forsake the enticements of the world. They love God and their fellow men. Their minds and, their, uh, and hearts are centered on the Savior's atoning sacrifice. From the moment of their respective conversions, Enos, Alma the Younger, Paul, and others turned wholeheartedly to the task of bringing themselves and their fellow men to God.
Okay, so I want to move on to Enos, or excuse me, uh, Jerem, but before doing that, just a few just points I want to just hit pretty briefly here as we go. I've got this note written in my scriptures um, in Enos at the bottom of the page. Uh, it says, what stops the Lord from communicating with me? Why can't he tell me direction specifically for me and my family? Remove the thing, those things, and he will speak and covenant with me. Um, and I think that's a lesson that I've learned from Enos is that by removing those distractions or removing the things that uh, I have put in the way of communication with the Lord, uh, when those things are removed, the Lord will communicate very specifically uh, to me and to my family and, and our needs. And I know that that is the same for you and your family. Every family and every individual is different and you will receive different and direct specific uh, communication for you. Enos heard this, and there came a voice unto me saying, Enos. The, the word that he heard was his name. Joseph Smith in the grove of, uh, in the sacred grove, the first word is Joseph. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. It's a name. He knows you by name, just as he knew Enos and Joseph and Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He knew his name, right? It's an individual thing and he knows your needs and your family's needs. And as you as an individual and as you as a family come together to remove the distractions and, you know, the Lord is, I think, trying to help us out with that right now, with what's going on, to get rid of all the things that don't matter, focus on your family, bring it back in to the center, to the core, to what's important. And so that you can hear me. And as we do that, we will hear him and become unshaken in our faith. But a uh, point um, I wanted to, to make is President Boyd K. Packer talking about hearing the voice of the Lord. Answers to prayer come in a quiet way. The scriptures describe that voice of inspiration as a still, small voice. I have come to know that inspiration comes more as a feeling than as a sound. You will hear sometimes, and there will be thoughts put into your mind. And I've told you my my thoughts about this through other podcasts, but he knows you. He'll speak directly to you. He, he, the Lord reasoneth as a man reasoneth with another man. Um, we can read about that in Doctrine and Covenants in, uh, in the Old Testament. We can read about that in the Book of Mormon, uh, in Second Nephi 32 or 31. They speaks to us in our own language. This is all throughout in every, I mean, like I said, Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. The way that he speaks is a personal way and in, through thoughts, but oftentimes it's also just through these feelings that we have, promptings, nudgings, and sometimes those can be hard to put into words, and then I think you get that when you read Doctrine and Covenants um, section 9, it talks about feeling, you know, you'll feel it in your mind and in your heart. Well, if you feel something in your heart, what is the, what, how do you translate that into, into English words or into any, any language that is um, an earthly language? Um, and you talk about in, in, Several places, but yeah, Third Nephi is one that comes to my mind. To my mind, sec, uh, section seventy-six of the Doctrine and Covenants, where people write things that basically that are like you know, that there are words that were unspeakable. Now I think that they were probably asked and forbidden not to write them, and so they're unspeakable. But I also think that there's, it's they the word the the feelings and emotions and the direct revelation that those people were getting as they were in Zarahemla with the Savior or Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon as they're having this vision in Doctrine and Covenants 76, those things are unspeakable because the way that the Lord speaks to us and communicates to us is from soul, from spirit to spirit. And putting those things into words can be unspeakable, impossible to put into words. But just know that as you feel those things and as you are prompted to do good, and as you are uplifted, that's coming from the Lord. Negative self-talk, uh, negative uh, and doubts and putting putting your thoughts that put you down those do not come from the Lord from the Lord. Um, and when I say negative self talk, I, I mean things like when you say I can't do this or we is we can't do this. This is we're never going to make this make through get through this or I can't overcome this. I can't. Uh, I I don't have faith or I'm not good enough or I'm too weak. Those that's not how the Lord communicates. The Lord communicates by saying things like Enos. Thy sins are forgiven, and and speaking to you, and not a and not uh, self talk through you, um, like I am not good enough. Anyway, moving on, just a couple of those points I wanted to make. Uh, so 
Enos uh, passes the record on to his son, Jerem. Jerem makes a special note here to let us know, as Nephi did and Jacob before him, that the plates that he has been given are small. Remember back uh, specifically Jacob chapter 4. Jacob makes pretty clear that the plates are small and that anything that they write is not going to go anywhere because they're etching it and graving it in. It's painstaking. It's difficult. So Jerem now gets the plates and says, look, I've got these plates and they got a commandment from my father to keep the, re- the record of our genealogy. So that's what I'm doing. His record is, is, is brief. And he even says in verse two, like, I don't even know what else I could really write. My fathers have, have testified and have taught you the, the plan of salvation. And the book is so, there's not much room left. So I don't think that I have anything that is of worth of, to, to take up the these space of these plates. Remember back that Nephi, he was kept these the small plates for the more plain and precious things, for the, the more spiritual things, the things of his ministry. And he, he told Jacob when he gave him the plates the same thing, like only write things that are for the benefit and welfare of our people. And so this word gets passed on to then Enos and then to Jerem. And Jerem is saying, you know what? I don't want to take up room on these plates very much because maybe someone after me is going to have something even better to say. Um, and uh, one one cool thing that I like about Jerem here is that he, he says uh, that they observed to keep the law of Moses and the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord, and they profaned not, neither did they blaspheme. President uh, Gordon B. Hinckley said, I say this to the boys, I say it to also any of you older men. I think it applies to women as well, but I think uh, you'll see why. he's. This is from a, a, a conference talk to the priesthood, but it applies to everyone. I do so with love. I know that the Lord is pleased when we use clean and virtuous language. For he has set an example for us. His revelations are couched in words that are affirmative, that are uplifting, that encourage us to do what is right and to go forward with truth and goodness. Don't swear. Don't profane. Avoid so-called dirty jokes. Stay away from conversation that is sprinkled with foul and filthy words. You will be happier if you do so, and your example will give strength to others. Um, I love that. Jerem then talks about the way that the Nephites lived and that they believed in Christ as though he had already come. Uh, This is from the Institute Manual. True prophets such as Jerem, who lived before Jesus Christ's birth, wrote about his coming and his atonement as though it already happened. King Benjamin said, The Lord God has sent his holy prophets among all the children of men to declare these things to every kindred, nation, tongue, that thereby whosoever should believe that Christ should come, the same might receive remission of their sins and rejoice with exceedingly great joy, even as though he had already come among them. Abinadi said, if Christ had not come into the world, speaking of things as to come as though they had already come, there could have been no redemption. Those come from Mosiah 3 and Mosiah 16. These people lived as though Christ had already come. And be, because they lived that way, the atonement was in full force and effect in their lives. And you saw back in Enos that they could receive a remission of their sins because of their faith in Jesus Christ, whom they had never before uh, seen or heard and who hadn't even been born on the earth yet. And so we, in living in, in uh, the shadow, I guess, you know, of, of Christ's coming, that it's already happened, um, we should be living as though it already has happened, that it is a real, literal thing. And as we have faith in that, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who he is the God of, he can be our God and uh, can grant us remission of our sins. Um, the close of Jerem, he mentions something that's basically the same thing as Enos. At the end of Enos, Enos talks about how they had to stay on top of, of the people to keep them uh, in the right way. Uh, Enos said, And there was nothing save exceeding harshness, exceeding harshness, preaching and prophesying of wars and contentions and destructions and continually reminding them of death and the duration of eternity and the judgments and the power of God and all these things, stirring them up continually to keep them in fear of the Lord. I say there was nothing short of these things and exceeding great plainness of speech would keep them from going down speedily to destruction. And after this manner, do I write concerning them? Jerem says something basically the same. He says, it came to pass that by so doing, they kept them from being destroyed upon the face of the land. 
for they did prick them in their hearts with the word continually stirring them up unto repentance. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the job of a prophet. That's the job of a teacher, of a bishop, of anyone who's called of God is to, um, you know, flip back to Jacob and how he lamented his responsibility as a teacher and a priest that he had to go and talk to his, his people about the sins that they were committing. And, but that was, that's the job of, uh, someone called of God. The, the job is not always easy. Um, but it needs to be done. Uh, that's, I'm trying to think if I, there was a quote, uh, President uh, Kimball, I am sure that Peter, James, and Paul found it unpleasant business to constantly be calling people to repentance, warning them of dangers, but they continued unflinchingly. So we, your leaders, must be everlastingly at it. If young people do not understand, then the fault may be partly ours. But if we make the true way clear to you, then we are blameless. The job of a prophet, of a teacher, is to teach us the right way, even if that means, uh, you know, what did, what's the germ say? Prick, if, even if that means pricking our hearts continually. All right, we're going to move into Omni now. So Omni uh, is, um, it's Omni is the son of Jerem, and he's the first writer of the book of Omni. So, he could, so we get to call it the book of Omni. He doesn't do much writing. Uh, there are several uh, writers who wrote the book of Omni 5, in fact. And so some of them get a bad rap here for like, hey, they didn't even do a good job keeping this record. Maybe true. And uh, Omni admits that he didn't keep the commandments like he should have. But what we have to remember is these plates are really small at this point. They're they're finite. They're not just everlasting. They didn't have it just... The, the small plates had been bound and... Um, you know they are a, a record that isn't that they're not going to be added to. They're keeping the large plates. So all the while here, um, this record has been passed on from generation to generation, uh, from father to son mainly, uh, with the a few exceptions here in Omni and Nephi giving it to his brother Jacob. But for the most part, it's father to son, and then there are a few you know, brother to brother instances here. But, um. What matters here is that they were commanded, even Omni says, uh, uh, being commanded by my father, Jerem, that I should write somewhat upon these plates to preserve our genealogy. So he wrote, and by him writing and writing his name, he was preserving the genealogy and keeping the commandment that his father had given him. Now, the, you know, Nephi wanted to, to save these plates for the more plain and precious things and for the things of his ministry and, and great spiritual truths. But what you got to think about is, as we read Omni, we get we flip over from uh, in the Book of Mormon, page one forty to page one forty three, and at the end, it says, "And these plates are full, and I make an end of my speaking." Malachi, who's the last writer of the Book of Omni, he fills up literally the small plates. It's it done. No more room, and so we have to take that to. Uh, hard a little bit in terms of what's being written. Why would it be important? These guys, you know, like I said, Jerem was, he was getting scared about how much room was left. He didn't want to write very much because he's like, look, my fathers have already written all the, the entire plan of salvation and you can look to their writing. What more can I add? So you get the same thing and you got Omni who says, yeah, I didn't keep the commandments like I should. But like, what would he, what would he have written? He's, he, he's got to know that it's going to be of benefit that it, these are, this is, this has been something that's, I'm sure when it gets passed to you, you're told, hey, our father, Nephi, you know, he created these by way of commandment, and you can even you could read it. You could go back and say, with sit down with him and say, look, look here. He wrote that the Lord commanded him. He didn't know why, but it was for a wise purpose. And so we have a sacred trust to continue these these small plates. So the small plates are being written and had passed down from generation to generation here, um, more or less from prophet to prophet, uh, and. Meanwhile, the large plates are being kept by the king, so they're separate. Uh, but at, in Omni here, uh, in verses 23 through 25, and we learn more about it, and actually Words of Mormon mentions it as well, but we learn these small plates Amalekai takes and says, I don't, I'm going to give these because they're full. He gives them uh, to King Benjamin. And so at that point now, King Benjamin 
has the large plates as the king, and now he has the small plates, but they're not being added to, but he is then given possession of them, and from there they get passed down and just with the with the records in general. So the Book of Omni has five writers, like I said, there's Omni, there's uh, uh, Amaron, and uh, then there is Chemish, and then there is Abinadam, and there is uh, Amalekai, who is the re- the last one, and uh, even you know Chemish. Or let's see, Abinadam and the son of Chemish. Behold, it came to pass that I saw much war and contention, um, and he just he doesn't know what to write. Behold, I the record of this people is engraven upon the plates which is had by the kings according to the generations, and I know of no revelation save it be that which has been written, neither prophecy. So he's like, look, uh, the, the the record of the kings and all, all the things that are going on in our in our world. I don't have to, I don't have to give you like a play by play here. That's being kept by the the kings. So I, I don't. I've read. I have the small plates here. I've read them. I don't know of any revelation or prophecy that is that hasn't been written already that is worth putting in these small plates. So they don't, and and I think you can, I mean, like I said, they get kind of a bad rap, and maybe rightfully so in some of their cases, but same time, you know, they had this, I think, my my view of them is that they had a reverence, at least, for these small plates, and knowing that what they were meant to be, and unless they f- had something of true great value, they didn't want to take up space in hopes that someone after them may have, they, they didn't want to take up that space if someone after them had something that needed to be kept but they what they did do is they fulfilled the commandment to keep the genealogy because you go from omni to uh amaron to chemish to abinadam to amalekai and there's generations right here's your genealogy they were keeping at least that commandment in omni another interesting thing to note is we get three there are three separate separate civilizations mentioned you get the nephites who are keeping this record then they mention uh, the Jaredites uh, because, well, first they mention the Mulekites, who are from Mulek, who was a son of Zedekiah, who was the king in Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian captivity, who obviously escaped, found the, uh, the promised land. Uh, they, so you mentioned there's the Nephites, the Mulekites. The Mulekites, when they meet up with the Nephites, they tell them about the, a, a person that they met, and uh, named Coriantumr, who was uh, a Jaredite. So you get the Jaredite people, the Mulekites, and the Nephites all here in Omni, which is interesting. Not a very long chapter, but all three civilizations mentioned. Um, so another interesting thing from, from Omni is that we learn that the Mulekites' the language had been corrupted. They didn't bring any records with them. And so we get this fulfilling of uh, what the Lord had said to Nephi. If we go to 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 13, Nephi um, says, uh, this is Nephi wrestling, or, you know, wrestling with the Spirit, I guess, and saying, you know, I don't want him, he doesn't want to kill Laban. Uh, but the Lord uh, says, The Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. And then, um, let's see, uh, in chapter 5 of First Nephi, Wherefore is wisdom that the Lord, that we should carry them, the brass plates, with us as we journeyed in the wilderness towards the promised land. If we go to Mosiah chapter 1, this is King Benjamin, he says, And he also taught them concerning the records which were engraven on the uh, plates of brass, saying, My sons, I would that ye should remember that were it not for these plates, these are the plates that Nephi went and got from Laban, which contain these records and these commandments, we must have suffered in ignorance even at this present time, not knowing the mysteries of God. For it, for it were not possible that our father Lehi could have remembered all these things to have taught them to his children, except it were for the help of these plates. For he having been taught in the language of the Egyptians, therefore he could read these engravings and teach them to his children, that thereby they could teach them to their children, and so fulfilling the commandments of God even down to this present time. That's what, that's what was different between the Nephite, the, you know, the Lehi's group, leaving, and, and Mulek and his group leaving, they brought a record. They brought the scriptures. So not only did their language be, could their language be preserved because they could teach language from a book, 
but also they um, could teach about God and the commandments and, and about Christ and the atonement. The Mulekites lost all of that because they didn't have a record to, to, to remember and to read and to, to keep them uh, close to the Lord. So I've got a great, great, great grandma, something, two, three, four, who, uh, his name was Lucinda Streeter, um, lived back east and, in the United States. And uh, there, um, there's more to the story that I can't really remember, but I know that at one point their house catches on fire um, and everyone gets out safely, but uh, Lucinda was really worried about saving books. That was the only thing she wanted saved, and so she made sure that with the help of her family, they were able to, as they were exiting and got out to safety, saved a bunch of books because she it was very important to her that she had books to read and that she could um, share them with her kids and teach them how to read. And this is at a time when, you know, being literate and be, knowing how to read is not a not at all very common um, unless you're really wealthy and highly educated. And uh, But she taught her children how to read. And uh, that was really important because then when the missionaries from the restored Church of Jesus Christ uh, came to their house, every single one of the, their members of their family could read the Book of Mormon for themselves and pray to know of its truthfulness. Um, and that, I think, just, again, it's just the power of having the ability to read and preserve the language and to preserve uh, and knowing, uh, knowing Scripture to keep us close to the Lord and um, the power that that can have. All right, move, we're going to move on to Words of Mormon. So, Words of Mormon, um, not part of the small plates. What we need to remember here is the small plates are full, like I mentioned um, and the, at the end of Omni, Malachi makes it pretty clear. Look, these plates are full. Okay, so they're done and over. Now, several hundred years later, we have prophet historian Mormon, and he's compiling uh, the record and he's going through and abridging his people's record. So what he's doing, think about this: the the record that had been kept by the the, the kings all these uh, hundreds of years. He's going through all of those and pulling out parts of them and compiling them into an abridged history of his people. Okay, so then he comes across this record that had been given to the kings at some point. We know that point. It was given to King Benjamin by Malachi. He finds that in, the, in this hall of records, wherever he is, you know, and he says, he reads through it, the small plates, and is like, man, this, these, are, these are great. I have got to just include this in my record. Un, unabridged. I'm just going to keep put this in my record. He said, uh, After I had made an abridgment from the plates of Nephi down to the reign of this King Benjamin, of whom Amalekai spake, I searched among the records which had been delivered into my hands, and I found these plates which contained this small account of the prophets, from Jacob down to the reign of this King Benjamin, and also many of the words of Nephi. So he'd already abridged from Nephi to King Benjamin. And so he's looking through the records that are from that time period. Sounds like to me they were keeping pretty good records because it sounds like it was chronological and kept together and the small plates went with that time period and so they were there. And so he finds the small plates and he's like, oh, wow, this, is, this, this covers the same time period that I've already abridged. And he reads it and he says, and the things which are upon these plates are pleasing, uh, these plates pleasing me because of the prophecies and the coming of Christ and the fathers knowing that many of them have been fulfilled. And my father is knowing that many of them have been fulfilled, and I also know that as many have, have uh, been prop- uh, and as many things as have been prophesied concerning us down to this day have been fulfilled, and as many as go beyond this day must surely uh, come to pass. Wherefore I close, I chose these things to finish my record upon them, which remainder of my record I shall take from the plates of Nephi, and I cannot write a hundredth part of the things of my people. So he's like, look, I'm going to, to finish out my record of this time period, I'm just going to include this because I love it and I love these prophecies and the testimonies of Christ. And I'm going to keep I'm bridging the record of my people. I can't even mention a hundred part, 100th part of everything, but I'm going to keep abridging. And then he goes on to say that I do this for a wise purpose, for thus it whispereth me. I'm going to come back to that phrase, a wise purpose, here in a minute. Uh, according to the workings of the Spirit of the Lord which is in me. And now I do not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things which are to come. Wherefore he worketh in me to 
according to his will. He's still referring to why he's placing the small plates and keeping them uh, with his record. He says, And my prayer to God is concerning my brethren, that they may know once again, once again, that they may once again come to the knowledge of God, yea, the redemption of Christ, and that they may once again be a delightsome people. Does this sound like a familiar prayer? It's the same type of prayer that Enos offered. Again, when we're led, when we're led by the Spirit and we pray um, with that, with the Spirit, we will pray for the will of God. And what we'll find is that it's awful similar to a lot of, to, to other people's prayers. And when you have that unifying prayer, that's power, power can, can be manifest. And then he goes on and says, And now I, Mormon, proceed to finish out my record, which I take from the plates of Nephi, and I make it according to the knowledge and the understanding which God has given me. So he said, I'm going to keep going now. And he's given, and I'm going to do it according to the knowledge that God has given me. But he made it, he's also made it very clear that he's following the Spirit. And so I, what I learned from this is that we need to not be prompted in all things. We shouldn't need to be prompted in all things by the knowledge and understanding that the Lord has given us in the past and act and use our agency following the Spirit, following what He's given us, um, acting within the guidelines of the God not have to be um, commanded in all things. And I, I see that here with, with Mormon as he's abridging. He's not saying, Lord, tell me everything exactly that needs to go in this word for word. But he's saying, look, I can use my own judgment based on what the Lord has taught me and given me in the past and trust that the Lord if I make a mistake or if I put something in wrong or forget something that he will bump me back and guide me. But I'm going to use my agency to put this record together. All right, so I told you I was going to go back to this phrase, uh, doing this, as, and I do this for a wise purpose. This is from Elder Holland. At least six times in the Book of Mormon, the phrase for a wise purpose is used in reference to making, writing, and preserving the small plates. Uh, here are some examples for you, by the way. Uh, 1 Nephi 9, Words of Mormon 1-7, Alma 37, uh, several places in Alma 37. You and I know the wise purpose. The most obvious one was to compensate for the loss of the earlier mentioned 116 pages of manuscript. But it strikes me that there is a wiser purpose than that. The key to such a suggestion of a wiser purpose is in verse 5 of Doctrine and Covenants, section 10. As the Lord instructs Joseph, he says, Behold, there are many things engraven upon the small plates of Nephi which do throw greater views upon my gospel. So clearly this was not tit for tat, this for that. You give me 116 pages of manuscript and I'll give you 142 pages of printed text. Not so. We got back more than we lost, and it was known from the beginning that it would be so. It was for a wiser purpose. We do not know exactly what we missed in the 116 pages, but we do know that we received on the small plates was the personal declarations of three great witnesses, Nephi, Jacob, and Isaiah, Three of the great doctrinal voices of the Book of Mormon testifying that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, I think you can make a pretty obvious case that the sole purpose of the small plates was to give us a platform for those three witnesses. And that, so like I said, that, that came from Elder Holland, and I want to echo that. The, the, the small plates cover the same time period of what had already been translated from the 116 pages of lost manuscript. But the, and the Lord had prepared, but it wasn't like, oh, guess what, I have a backup, that's the, it's just the same, you didn't miss anything out. No, it was even better. Because had Joseph not lost 116 pages, he might not have been commanded to translate the small plates. The small plates were sealed and separate. It was only after they lost the 116 pages, there was this mourning and, and repenting period. Joseph got the uh, power and ability to translate back that he was then commanded to translate this, the, the, the small plates. And it's only because he translated the small plates that we have the words of Nephi, that we talk of Christ and we rejoice of Christ. It's only because uh, uh, the, the, this wiser purpose that we have as much of the words of Isaiah unchanged in their true form from Nephi that's the only reason we have them. It's the only reason we have the allegory of the olive tree and the, and the words of Jacob. Uh, here, as Elder Holland said, uh, Jacob, what did he call them? He said, the personal declarations of three great witnesses, Nephi, Jacob, and Isaiah, all three of them testified to having been witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, the premortal Christ the Jeho- of, of Jehovah. And there are powerful testimonies and witnesses. And so the only reason we have those 
three men's testimonies as powerfully as we do. Now, obviously, we have Isaiah in the Old Testament, but we have it on his unfettered words from Nephi. Um, and the, so the reason we have them in the way that we do is because the Lord is powerful and mighty and knows the beginning from the end. And he doesn't just replace something uh, bad and say, here's something that is, here's this, I took this away, so now it's, it's good, it's all, everything's all good now. Um, you know, so we, he doesn't just say, oh, you lost 116 pages of manuscript and here's something else that's the exact same. No, it was a wiser purpose than that. And uh, that's the way the atonement works and the way that the Lord works in general is he takes our trials and our hardships and he consecrates them for our gain. And the atonement is, is uh, it takes something that in of itself should not and is not possible and makes it possible. Um, and to me, the inclusion of the small plates in the Book of Mormon and as we have it is a testament and as a testimony of the omniscience and uh, omnipotence and all loving kindness and uh, of our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And it's also a testimony to me of how the atonement can work in our individual lives. That if we are going through hard times and trials and difficult things, if we turn to Him, He takes those things and uh, use, makes them so that they uh, are for our benefit and purify us and refine us and make us like Him. And the, the way the atonement has worked and always has worked and always will work is not, hey, here's this for that, like Elder Holland said. It's, here, you, you, you lost something. Here's something even better than the thing that you lost. And here you're going through a hard time, but you can't even imagine what's waiting for you on the other side. As a matter of fact, there are many scriptures that speak to that exact thing. One of them that just popped in my head was Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse uh, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And I want to uh, close on that as my testimony that and the world is crazy. It's always been crazy. It's, it's crazy right now. and We live in crazy times. And um, as uh, President Nelson has recently said, that as we live in the latter part of the latter days, that uh, we need to recognize that our, that's the time that we live in. But I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the way the Lord has worked and always will work and the way that the atonement works. That takes our trials and hardships and he refines us and makes us pure and like him. And he gives us the strength to be able to endure for as long as we need to. And uh, I... I take comfort and hope in that thought as, as my life is like your life, I'm sure it is a little bit hectic and crazy right now. And as I've tried to, and as I'm trying to slow down and hear him, uh, I know that as we do that as a, as a people and as individuals, we will be able to start to recognize even more the hand of the Lord in our life right now. And that we will uh, start to see that glory, which shall be revealed in us. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, the next two weeks are actually going to be uh, Easter uh, studies about Christ and how messages and lessons of, of Easter Sunday can be found in the Book of Mormon. I uh, hope you are, uh, are getting prepared for conference. I'll, we'll also be discussing that in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, two weeks from now, we'll get back into the Book of Mormon. We'll, we're going to be into Mormon's abridgment of the... Uh, record and into Mosiah and King Benjamin and it's going to be great and exciting and I appreciate everyone for joining me and I hope that you'll join me in the future. Thanks for listening and if you like it, be sure to uh, give me a rating on your whatever podcast service you listen to me on and uh, share with share with other people. Uh, I, I just hope that I can be a voice of, of hope and uh, um, sharing the words of the prophets and of the scriptures 
And uh, if you know someone that can use that, then by all means, I would love to for you to share my podcast with them. Uh, again, thanks for listening, and we'll, t- we'll talk uh, next week.